You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. And Logan, there is so much to talk about since the last time we recorded this here podcast. We got a schedule that came out. We had rookie minicamp on Friday. And then, oh, by the way, Dan and Tanya Snyder announced that they are going to indeed sell the team. Now, we, we've kind of known that was going to happen, but... This is the first time we've heard from Dan and Tanya. And it was interesting, Logan, because I was on the air Friday, obviously, when this announcement came out. And it seemed like a large portion of the fan base that was kind of holding out, going, I don't know, there's all these bad reports. And including one, by the way, on Friday from Don Van Nott at ESPN that talked about how Dan was trying to mitigate the Mary Jo White report and was going to possibly hold out over that as long as he possibly could. To go from that, to him saying, like, we look forward to the prompt completion of this process seemed to be the release and kind of the moment for a lot of people who didn't really believe it when the non-exclusive agreement was announced in April. But what I want to ask you first is, did you have any sense this was coming? Like, because that's the weird thing. Everybody was in the building on Friday. Like, yeah. you guys were all there for rookie minicamp. And, and talking to Standig on, on the radio show on Friday, they had no sense that this was coming. You're obviously in the building, you know, working for the team in the media side. Were you as surprised as everybody else? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's like, I think people think like there's like some deep, dark secret in the in the team room. Like you talk to anybody in that room, they have anybody in the building. They have zero idea what's happening. Zero idea. So like I keep going back to what I hear, you know, what we've talked about on this show, what Kimes talked about on his show. It's like there are a very few select groups of people who know actually what's going on and everybody else is kind of in a reactive that they react to that information. So Dan and Tanya put that information out and everyone says, oh, well, obviously, this is a great indication for the process. And I think I agree with that. I'm excited about this. I think it's the great a great thing for the organization. Um, you know, and I know there was some rumors that it wasn't going to happen. But in my heart of hearts, I was like, it's got to sell. It's like, it, you know, unless they don't someone in the. Um, you know, in the new ownership group doesn't get approved and that's over the next 90 day period. But I think they could probably work around that anyway. I, this is happening. It's happening. Right. It's going to happen. Um, I think this is just kind of something good for fans to kind of quell any, you know, any kind of anxiety about it. Like Dan wants 66, what is it? $6 billion. He yeah. wants that money. Like yeah. it's going to happen. Right. And I think, um, you know, the new ownership group sounds like a very exciting, compelling group. And hopefully we'll have someone on, you know, from the Sixers or something at some point down the road to kind of flesh that out a little bit more. But I personally think, man, like great, great, great step in the process. Um, and I'm reacting to it like everybody else. You know, I don't have any like inside scoop I do on some stuff, but definitely not this. So, yeah, uh, Sixers, Sixers folks a little busy today uh, after they <laughs> lost in game seven over the weekend. Uh, going to figure out. I wonder if they're going to be covering coach firing, uh, which is also interesting as Josh Harris might have a little bit more on his plate than he was certainly hoping for. He's hoping to be celebrating an NBA finals victory. Instead, sure. Sixers get knocked out in the Eastern Conference semifinals again. Uh, so I, I, to me, there's a couple lingering questions. I want to kind of just run through these real quick um, and then we can try to make sense of them. Um, the first one is is and and i don't know i i feel like this is a bigger question than a lot of people perhaps um because in part like i learned this news logan to, to peel back the curtain on on how i learned it right so i read the don van nada story in espn for those that don't know or didn't read it basically van nada had a bunch of ownership level type of sources league office people saying that dan is trying to mitigate or even kill the mary joe white report and he's obviously multiple reports that he's refused to participate and you know he doesn't it's it's a report into his personal misconduct 
um, including a sexual assault allegation against him on his plane in 2009. And the woman who has accused him of this has spoken to Mary Jo White. So like this is very serious for Dan personally. And, uh, you know, Don had said that like they're he's trying to to quash that report at the very least in the same way that the Beth, Beth Wilkinson report was quashed, that the commissioner kind of gets to put out a report. And that way, a lot of the details and a lot of the the information gets quelled. And it's just kind of like, yep, it was bad. Here's the penalty, as opposed to the actual details. And so that report comes out at noon. I talked with Van Nada at three. We taped an interview, right? My show starts at four. We play the interview at 4.15. At 4.20, the statement drops. So I'm frantically texting our boss, who you know, obviously, Logan CK, being like, should we should we bail out of the interview? Should we just pick up on the back end? Like, And I'm in a very like serious headspace because the, the substance of the ESPN report is fairly serious. And thus, even though this is obviously huge and, and as the British would say, celebratory, um, it, you know, it is... It is the kind of thing where there's still this massive question about what happens with that report, which is, you know, talking about a lot of the things that kind of spurred us to this moment anyway. So that's that's one lingering thing I have. And I'd say it's lingering very heavy in my head, in part because of the headspace I was in when when the the statement came out from Snyder. The other major lingering question that I have is just the timing. Um, obviously the, the Minneapolis meetings are now a week away. They start on the 22nd as we record this on Monday, the 15th. I'm not great at math, but I do think five plus seven is two, uh, or 15 plus 15 plus seven is 22. So, uh, that's a week away. And is there any chance that this gets done then? It sounds like not, it sounds like it's going to maybe be provisionally approved, but there's going to have to be some details worked out with the financing and, and details worked out. And this is kind of my question too, is like, you know, does the marriage of white report get negotiated into all of this or the indemnity stuff? But at the end of the day, like Dan has given up his leverage here. He can't hold out because whatever he signed to, as long as the league approves it, he can't go back on it because they have a signed agreement now and can move forward. So I'm just, I'm very curious what they signed and I'm very curious if what they signed is approved by the league. Because obviously there's certain elements that Dan was very clearly worried about that can't be worked out between Harris and Snyder. They have to be worked out between Snyder and the league. Yeah, I, I don't know. Anytime lots of money is exchanged, I'm pretty confident that'll get worked out with the league, you know, in, yes. in a favorable way. You know, maybe that's just being pessimistic, but I think Dan's going to get everything he wants out of this most likely. Um, you know, with regards to the meeting on the 22nd, I, I don't think anything happens because like I was listening to John Kime on his podcast and apparently there's like a 90 day window and this would be very early in that 90 day window. And I think there's 12 people outside of Josh Harris that need to be vetted if I'm correct in that, or Josh Harris might it's be one of the 12 as much as 17. So, right. Um, so, so there's six, a lot of 16 other folks, but yeah, some of them, it's like family. It's, it's, it's definitely an interesting and in, interesting. I don't want to say unique ownership group. This, this is a lot more reminiscent of what more ownership groups have looked like recently as the, the price goes up for teams. But yeah, there's a lot of work to do. And so I just don't think it's going to happen in, you know, 15 days or whatever it is. So uh, seven days, whatever it is. So I, I, I think just kind of be patient. I think it's happening. It's, it's going to happen. I think, um, you know, I think one of the things about the Harris group is that he does own teams. So he knows how to go through this process. He knows what's needed to get this done. It's just about kind of, you know, checking all the boxes and making sure everything's good to go. And, you know, I, I think so. Just, so just take, if you're a fan, just take a breath. It'll happen. It just, it might not happen on the 22nd. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the other thing too, is like Harris himself was vetted for the Broncos process. Right. So yeah. he, like the biggest piece here has already been, been vetted. You know, Magic Johnson owns the Dodgers uh, or partially owns the Dodgers. Um, I, I, one of the interesting details that we learned last week is that David Blitzer is also involved. Blitzer is Harris's partner uh, with the Devils and the Sixers. He was previously not reported uh, that he was involved. And, you know, uh, I don't I, and I actually don't know that he was. Um, I was talking to one person who has been reporting on this uh, and he said, I wonder if some of the financing questions, Harris just basically called Blitzer and was like, hey, we need a little bit more cash. Do you want in? And like for someone like David Blitzer, $250 million is something that he can do. Um, must be nice. Uh, so, you know, he, he calls David Blitzer and, and is able to get him in the group. Um, you know, but he again owns teams. So I think the, the vetting process is, is going to be some of the, the, 
smaller bidders down the list. The other question I have for you, Logan, is like, how does this then affect the operation, right? You know, we're starting to now get into cam curl extension season, let's say, yeah, right? Some of these, these moves that need to be made, obviously we're past the draft. There's not going to be any staff changes. It's not like Ron Rivera is going to get blown out when he comes in. There's just no way you don't hire a new coaching staff in June or July, but some of these other financial adjacent moves that have been waiting on ownership, how many of them can really afford to wait versus how many of them, you know, is, is Ron Rivera going to want to be able to get on a call with Josh Harris uh, after some kind of preliminary approval, if that's something that happens and be able to have a discussion of whether or not he can proceed or whether he needs to wait? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really good question. And, you know, honestly, I don't know. I don't know what this process looks like. I think, um, you know, I have, I had some questions. I had my own like little conspiracy tinfoil hat thing where it's like, they didn't bring in an offensive court, an offensive run game coordinator from the Kansas city tree. And I was, and I've always kind of wondered if that was something that was potentially related to the ownership thing. And obviously mm -hmm. now you can't, um, you can't make that higher. It's too late in the process, you know, and I, and, and this is not an indictment of Travell. I'm just saying, I think Travell's a really bright dude. I think he's a smart coach, but I think if you're EB, you want more people that are kind of speaking your language and familiar with what you're installing and the run game slash offensive line coaches. There's a reason they call that guy the fourth coordinator on the team, right? Is, is because they do have a lot of impact. So I was a little surprised that that didn't happen. I've always kind of wondered in the back of my mind if that was related to something higher up the food chain, you know, like the ownership thing, obviously. Um, uh, but they were able to get a lot of free agents signed. I do think that the the contract extension stuff becomes really interesting. And um, I don't know if that would be prohibitive. It seems like there would have been enough money in escrow to get that done or at least get the conversation started if they wanted to. But I also think that that's something maybe the owner, the new owner, um, would like to have some say. And I Deadline-wise, there's nothing to worry about here. And I think that's like an important statement, right? Because sometimes there's like a July deadline, but that's franchise tag. They can negotiate right. an, an extension with Camp Curl in the middle of training camp. Like We see training camp extensions all yeah. the time. Yeah. And a lot of times it's like the first day of training camp. You know, they ne agents negotiate throughout the summer. They get the training camp in person together with the, the player. And then ultimately they, uh, they, they sign it there and it's like oh new extension colt mccoy got one like that one year and it's like oh hey new extension for colt mccoy in, in the first day of training camp congrats man um so like things like that happen all the time that's just standard stuff that every you know organization of any kind sports or otherwise has to deal with and there there is some of that and that's why you know the the more prompt this thing can get done the better because then josh harris can be like okay these are your new budgets or we're going to work with you on your new budgets and right. considering how much work there is to do for this franchise and you know not only because they're them and there's you know been all this stuff that's happened and yada 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 but the just the general pre preparation for a season like any nfl team getting ready for a season there's a lot to do and right. and not knowing kind of what your operational budget uh is going to be is is got to be really difficult so the faster they can have those discussions, the better. Um, anything yeah. else adjacent to this that that's on your plate of either questions or comments? No, I mean, like I said, I don't know a lot about what's going on and everything seems to be kind of going as expected. Um, and I do think, you know, I don't, I have no, I would just assume that the sooner Harris gets approved and the sooner that group gets approved, the better it is for the team in terms of extensions. I don't, I have no insider information on that. Uh, but that just would be an assumption I would make if I was, I was a coach and you know, like this is the guy that's writing the checks. I want him in as quick as I can. So I can have those conversations. Totally. Uh, you want normal operating order and normal operating order is the ability to call the owner and get approval on something if you need it or discuss it with him. And, uh, well, that hasn't, that hasn't been the case here in a long time. So, uh, it'd be, be good to, and by a long time, I mean like at least December, uh, when Dan right. kind of checked out. So that's, that'll be good once Harris finally gets in here. Uh, obviously the, the thing that is needed now is, is ultimately the vetting process to be finished by the finance committee, a recommendation to vote to the full NFL ownership of 32, 24 have to vote. Yes. It is very much expected that that will be a, merely a formality. Uh, they do have to figure out the details, but that is what we are waiting for at this point. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. All right, Logan, let's talk some football. Commanders sign uh, their UDFAs, undrafted free agents. Uh, they made a couple of moves, like, you know, guys they had signed to futures contracts, things like that, um, that get let go. Drew White, I think, was one of them, the linebacker. And they're ultimately uh, at 90 guys now as they head into OTAs here in the next couple of weeks. Um, anybody stand out for you of this undrafted free agent class? And uh, then we can talk about some of the drafted guys as well as we we work our way into talking about rookie minicamp. But let's start with UDFAs because we haven't actually talked about them yet. Yeah, so I know everyone's been asking about UDFAs. So we're going to talk about like receivers, safeties, corners, and just kind of go in that order. So uh, the receivers are kind of an interesting group, actually. Um, you know, like Mitchell Tinsley from Penn State's a guy that I think a lot of people had a draftable grade on. He's here. He's 6'1", Not the fastest guy, not the biggest guy, but really good route runner, really good contact balance. Uh, did return punts in an all-star game, you know, so there is that to him. And uh, I think his last two punts in that all-star game were, were pretty uh, well returned. Like I said, he's got he's not like this flash return guy, but he's got the balance. And, and if you're looking for a guy to maybe be your fifth, sixth guy with some return upside, he'd be an interesting guy to keep an eye on, especially as training camp goes. Bryson Tremaine, excuse me, out of Stanford, uh, 6'4", 212 pounds. I think that's probably a little bit light for him. He's exactly Cam Sims. Like he is, they basically ran the same 40. They have the same arm length. They play in a very similar way, uh, very physical, big guys. Um, he's a little stiff, but good short area quickness. He kind of reminded me of like Drake London light, you know, kind of a bigger guy with kind of like that basketball suddenness. Plays Gunner. So, again, if you're looking for a receiver to make the roster, that special teams value is pretty big. And, um, you know, he did have a one-on-one rep with um, Emmanuel Forbes and was able to beat him on the slant, like in a, you know, very physical way and kind of bodied him up. He did drop the ball, but, like, it was a nice, clean, well-run route. And so with both those guys, I think you see, you know, NFL caliber players. You know what I'm saying, Craig? It's like certain sometimes you watch guys and you're like, man, that guy, I don't, there's no world where I see him kind of making the roster or figuring it out. Uh, But for, for those two guys, you're like, Oh, obviously those guys can, can play and do some stuff. Um, The other guy is Casimir on out of UCLA kind of bigger, like wider bodied than I thought he'd be. He's five, nine, 175 pounds from UCLA kind of return specialist slash receiver slash running back. Um, did some nice stuff from the slot. Again, it's really hard to kind of flush out an evaluation because there's coverage bust. Guys don't know exactly what they're doing. But return kickoffs in college, that's predominantly what he did. I think he had 59 returns of kickoffs in college. And then um, in, in, in the East-West Shrine game, which is a all-star game, he had six punt returns where he didn't look quite as comfortable but didn't have any issues catching the football. So, again, if you're looking for a guy to maybe make the roster with some special teams upside – those are kind of the three guys from that group. I will have to say Jalen Sample from Minnesota State. He's listed at 6'6", 200. I think he's smaller than that, but did have uh, probably, I think it was two, yeah, two explosive plays over the top of the defense on the first day of rookie minicamp, you know, kind of running by the defense. And obviously it's really hard to say that's going to translate really well because I will say when you watch rookie minicamp, it feels like you're watching a bad college practice. And it's not because the talent's bad. It's just because you're getting a whole bunch of guys in who've never practiced in the defense. It's like, right. you know, they don't know the tempo. They don't know what they're doing. They're kind of figuring it out. So does that translate? Does that translate to varsity level? I don't know. I will say in terms of just straight receiver skill set, um, the guys that stick out to me were uh, Bryson Tremaine and uh, Mitch, uh, Mitchell Tinsley. Those guys kind of were the two receivers that I thought, just watching the film, watching them at rookie minicamp, I thought these guys have a shot. And plus their special teams upside. I think that really doubles down their opportunity. And then Casimir Allen, I think, is is a little bit too specific. 
but again, has some explosive uh, play potential there. So, so that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. yeah, is with Casimir Allen especially because he was like everyone freaked out when they signed him. You know, the 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 Twitterati who loved the draft and love college football were like, this dude's so explosive. They you know Commanders have needed a returner. They've been you know I can't believe still people are mad that they let a uh, DeAndre Carter go, right? And Allen is a guy that was super successful at UCLA in that right. return game. But can, is there a place on a 53-man NFL roster for essentially a returner? Like, sure, it's one thing if he's Dante Hall. But right. if, if you're not that, um, and does he have enough, I guess would be the other part. Like, is there enough of the wide receiver running back stuff? But is there a place, if a guy is actually an exceptional returner, maybe not Hall of Fame good, but like really, really good returner, is there a place on an NFL roster for him? Or is it just is it too specific and there's there's not enough versatility there and it's not worth the the spot i definitely think there's value there and i do think he can play other positions it's just you know if i'm dra- if i'm picking a receiver from the uh, the bunch to return it's mitchell Tins- tinsley right and i know he doesn't have the same name recognition but he catches the ball well and he's got some good contact balance he, i think he's going to be a good nfl returner and he has excellent upside as a receiver and i think the thing about casimir allen is everyone thought he was going to run like a 4-2 coming out he ran a four five five, which is essentially the same thing that Bryson Tremaine ran. And Bryson Tremaine is six four, six four and a half, probably two hundred twenty five pounds, like basically a candidate to convert to tight end. And so, I'm not saying Bryson Tremaine is going to return kicks or anything like that, but it's just that's the type of athlete you're dealing with. You're not dealing with this kind of hyper explosive, hyper twitchy athlete in the same vein of like a Devin Hester or something like that. It's it's a very average skill set. And so that was something else that was interesting about watching rookie minicamp. And again. It's rookie minicamp, so it's really hard to flush out an evaluation. But you don't see that top-end juice from him in the same way that you saw it in college, Like just because guys are a little bit faster, they're a little bit bigger. And I think um, it'll be interesting to see as he gets more comfortable what that looks like. But, um, you know, quite, and quite frankly, like his return stuff in college, it wasn't, you know, he had 59 returns, but, you know, 60% of them were touchbacks. It wasn't like every every return was a touchdown. It was like, you know, solid return here, solid return there. Um, where he really signed was in, in the context of the offense, catching bubble screens, catching, um, you know, in, in certain running situations, jet sweeps. You know, that's where he really shined. And I, my question is like, does, you know, you mentioned, is there a, a spot on the roster for a pure returner? I'm not sure he is that. You know, there are certain guys like Matthew Slater coming out was a gunner he played gunner he played all, court, all four special teams at UCLA when I played with him and he was and he had six touchdowns returned for touchdowns right uh, off kickoffs and so he was a return specialist and a special team specialist predominantly and obviously he's parlayed that into a great career this is a different situation I think uh with Casimir on I hope it works out for him because he's a Bruin he's a UCLA guy I like his film it's just is he? Yeah, you better say he, nice things, or Doc Walker's going to appeal appear in your house and smack you. Right, but is is he that? Is he that elite? Is he elite enough at the position right. to make it happen? Is is my question for fans who are? And again, it's rookie minicamp, so he might come out and look like that dude once he's kind of settled in the offense and knows exactly what he's doing. So, but as of right now, a little harder to kind of make that assertion. Yeah, um, I also wonder for a guy like that. He's a premier potential example for 40 times versus GPS times because, yes. you know, if he comes out and everyone thinks he's a 4-2 guy based off the tape and he's running away from people and it's all there, it comes out, runs a bad 40. Some dudes are just not track guys. And, and the 40 yeah. is such a technical. We talked about this at the combine. It's such a technical thing. You lose two tenths off a bad start and you go from being a 4-3 to a 4-5 guy. But I wonder now that they have the GPS data, if there's any, like what his GPS data is. Is he running at the speeds that the four, three guys are running when he's actually in pads out there on the field? Or is it a little slower and people maybe weren't as surprised by the four, five? Um, those are the kind of things I wonder. Um, that's something that's going to become a bigger part of the conversation over years to come. Not, don't really need to talk about it in depth now, but just right. food for food for thought um, as we move uh forward in the future with future draft prospect analysis next off season. Um, yeah. Anybody else uh, stand out? I said you want to do corners, right? So well, let's, obviously let's have... do safeties. Uh, we'll do first. safeties first. Okay. I will say that uh, we'll kind of combine them together. Um, I will say that for whatever reason, the corners. So Nick Whiteside, the second at, at a Sagittas state. Oh yeah. Fields at a Texas tech and DJ Striggs out of Missouri Western. 
couldn't find a lot of film on those guys. Like in the <laughs> database that I use, the names didn't come up. And it makes sense with the Sag- Saginaw State and uh, Missouri Western because those schools aren't like big D1 programs. Uh, but the Texas Tech kid didn't come up either. So a little confounded by that. I will say they all have the frame you want, 6'1", um, you know, uh, Nick Whiteside, 6'1", 200 pounds. DeMarcus Fields from Texas Tech, 6'2", 200 pounds. Uh, DJ Striggs, 6'1", 202 pounds. So kind of a bigger corner that they like here. Uh, they, I thought at rookie minicamp they all moved well. Again, um, you know, Nick Whiteside I thought made some good plays but also got beat a couple times by Jalen Sample from Minnesota State deep down the field. Uh, again, it's rookie minicamp. They're learning the defense. They're learning when they have help. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. But I'm not sure that any of those guys are going to definitively, like, stand out in camp. They've got a lot of depth there at the cornerback position, especially drafting two in the first and second round. So I'm kind of pumping my brakes on, on this group. But we'll see. Maybe someone flashes in training camp. Uh, the safeties, however, are very interesting. Kendall Smith, Illinois safety, 6'1", 205 pounds. Um, he played, obviously, in that back uh, in that backfield with, um, you know, all these Illinois defensive backs that got drafted, and he was the fourth guy. He plays, I, you know, he's a bigger guy. He's 205 pounds. I thought he was going to be in the box a little bit more. He's a true post safety, and he's not the fastest guy in the whole world. He's not, like, the most explosive guy, but he is very instinctive, and I like that when for a true post, a guy that just kind of drifts to the ball in the right way. I think he had five interceptions, right? I think that's just right, kind yeah. of being around the football, like getting tipped up or catching it. Like he's got good ball skills. And for a defense that's trying to prioritize that, I think that's great. He played safety. So I think that that's um, obviously advantageous, you know, for special teams value and stuff like that. Is he going to make the roster out the gate? No, he's got a long road ahead of him because they've got a couple guys here, Percy Butler, namely, who are very good at playing post. And he lacks the same kind of versatility as some of the other guys they've drafted in the past. He is a post player. So um, he's going to have to make it, He's going to have to maybe diversify his skill set a little bit, but a good football player, fun to watch his tape, um, hard to watch his tape because he is in the deep post a lot. So you got to watch like seven games for him to make like three tackles. But, you know, that's not his fault. That's just because he plays the post all the time. The other guy from Michigan State, um, Xavier Henderson from Michigan State, uh, 6'1", 210 pounds. Man, I've, I turned on his tape and I was kind of blown away by it. I was like, how did this dude not get drafted? He ran a 4-4 at his pro day. He's a big guy, 210 pounds. He hits like a big guy. He can track the ball well. He plays the overhang kind of star nickel position, which, again, is like the Buffalo nickel position in this defense. I thought he did a really nice job of that. Um, And I was like, why didn't he get drafted? He did have a knee injury after the first game of the season um, that affected his ability to play. And then he came back, and he's wearing this big-ass knee brace. And I still thought he played well. So, obviously, a tough kid. Football is important to him, at least from that analysis. And I was like, well, why Why isn't he not – why didn't he get drafted, basically? Because he's fast, he's physical, he hits hard. And I think the thing I settled on is he's not great at taking on blocks. You know, he's got 30-inch arms. And, you know, like Cam Curley plays the Buffalo Nickel, um, has 32-inch arms, right? So there's a little bit of a discrepancy there. He has a hard time getting off even big receivers. So I, I thought when I first watched this film, when you watch his key plays, you're like, man, this guy's going to walk in and be the Buffalo Nickel. Because he he did it in college. He basically played linebacker. Linebacker overhang, he also played a little bit in the post. So he's got a lot of position uh, versatility. I just don't know if at the NFL level, if he got if he has enough snap and enough technical acumen to get off blocks with tight ends and offensive linemen, or if he's just going to get enveloped. So he was. I was super excited. I was like, man, this guy is my sleeper. He's going to make the team. And so I ended up watching like an hour of film on him. And then as you get into the deeper cut of it, you're like, right, you get past the highlights portion and you're like, you're uh, like, uh, maybe this is it. And he, you know, again, even the, he moves well, he hits well, there's good stuff there. It's just the, the blocks taking on blocks in and around the line of scrimmage, which is a key part of that position was not, he didn't look super comfortable doing that. So that's, again, you know, all these guys have their warts. That's his wart. Um, and, and so I think that's interesting, um, obviously. And then there's uh, two guys, there's three guys left. I didn't really watch the quarterback because he's a quarterback, undrafted free agent quarterback. He might make the practice squad. Who knows? The guy of the two remaining guys is Joshua Pryor from Bowie State. He's listed at 280 at rookie minicamp. He probably looks like 235, 240. Not, I think that's an inflated number. Um, 
that looked a little out of sorts at rookie minicamp. Again, hard to find film of him because he's a small school what, guy. What uh, position are we talking here? He plays defensive line. And at 280, I was like, oh, he's going to be like this big edge shedder. He's more of a stand-up outside linebacker, just looking at his frame. Um, I'm not saying he can't develop into something, but um, he just looked really raw at the, at yeah. the rookie minicamp. So, you know, we'll see how that progresses. Uh, Mason Brook from Mississippi State. Uh, he's listed as offensive tackle. He played offensive guard. Uh, it's, it says, I have Mississippi State here, but it's Ole Miss, excuse me. 6'6", 315. And this dude, Craig, holy cow. He didn't practice, but he looked the part, man. He looked the part. He's a big, tall dude, good athlete. I do not understand. He transferred in from Western Michigan to Ole Miss last year. He played like basically 90 snaps at the beginning of the year, and then something happened. He didn't play the rest of the year. So I don't know what happened, but in his snaps, he's a guy who athletically, physically can do it. You know what I mean? And so like with UDFAs, you're kind of like, why are you, what happened? And I would assume it had something to do with him, his whatever happened at Old Miss that led to him not playing for the majority of the last half of the season. Like, I don't know what that is, but he can play football. So in terms of offensive line depth, getting some value in the draft, I think they're, you know, undrafted free agent guy, like that's a heck of a find. And we'll see how it develops, obviously. But athletically, all those things are checked. I was pretty impressed with him. It is his college tape. He didn't practice, obviously, at the rookie meeting camp. Gotcha. Um, Quan Martin was uh, was excused absence for this. Manuel Forbes yep. on the field, KJ Henry on the field. Obviously, yep. a lot of the young the rookies on the field. Any yep. of the they're not rookies, but the drafted guys. They're all rookies. Much. <laughs> um, although there were some young vets there too, which you know is yeah, is young vets. Cool. But of the drafted guys, anybody in particular stand out? And how did Forbes look as the the first rounder? I mean, Forbes, the first play of seven on seven, had a pick from the slot. I mean, it was like right on cue. It was like, oh, hey, like he didn't practice a ton, you know, like he didn't like he's, he's, the first. he's yeah, he's he's getting ready for actual OTAs to yeah. play with the guys that are going to be his teammates. Right. So he didn't practice a ton. So I remember the first day, like, you know, you're going through the film and you're like, where is he? Like, was that 13? No, that's not him. And then like the first like literally the first play of seven on seven interception. You're like, oh, there's 13. Um, you know, like I said, he um uh, Little, little undersized. I think the thing that got me was just how aggressive he was to break on everything. I, I, I kind of was concerned, um, you know, like, like you are, like people start talking about how you turn the football over. And as a player, that's all you think about. And like, that's my value. I need to make that happen. And so I kind of wish that he had just chilled out a little bit, you know, but, you know, did a great job, made some plays, um, got beat deep down the field a couple of times, but I think I felt like he was in phase and could have made the play. I mean, you know, he's the first round pick for a reason excellent job so did play in the slot the first day which was a little surprising like i said uh bryson tremaine kind of beat him on a slant bryson dropped the ball but bryson kind of out physical him at the line of scrimmage so like you know that's something uh, when you're 166 pounds you need to get addressed um uh the offensive line guys i thought were did a good stromberg looked excellent but again he's playing against a whole bunch of undrafted guys on the inside uh who are tryout guys so he should look excellent um and then uh, Braden Daniels uh, played left tackle predominantly for them. Uh, he's gained a lot of weight. I don't, you know, I talked to him in an interview. He said he's gained about 25 pounds. So putting him in that 320 range, um, he, I've never seen a person look more like a guard. Like he just looks like a guard. To me. <laughs> he looks like a guard. Obviously, he's a good athlete. He moves well. Him and um, Andre, Andre, that's not his name. Who was the seventh round pick? Andre Jones. Andre Jones. Um, they kind of were battling on the left side. Andre Jones, again, you see the length, you see some of the movement skills, practice tempos were kind of different for everybody. There's a couple of times where I thought he had Braden beat, but kind of stopped, you know, which is good practice habits because you don't want to be running to the quarterback. KJ Henry, I thought looked great. He uh, beat his man a whole bunch of times, but again, like he was going against the kid from Illinois state, the tall guy who's six ten, who's on the roster. Um, and right. he hasn't, that guy hasn't played football for like two years and he looked a little bit rusty. So you know, where is he at versus like varsity level competition? Hard to tell. Uh, Christian Rodriguez, I thought looked great. He's like a thick, big body guy. Looked a little out of shape, but you know, it's rookie minicamp. So that kind of stuff happens. Um, is that everybody? That is everybody. Uh, I think so. I yeah. Like so, I mean, it's, way, it's, but... uh, they looked kind of as they should. I do think Braden Daniels after seeing him, is probably yeah. a guard. Um, KJ Henry might, you know, be a guy who makes the 53 in a rotational role. Um, I think Andre Jones is probably, we'll see what happens. He's got some good tools, but
But again, it's the first day. It's hard to tell exactly what's going on. But I think everybody yeah. did what they were supposed to do. Also say the kid from Illinois, the safety, I forgot his name. Had Kendall, an inter- Smith. Kendall Smith had an interception. So, you know, that kind of the guys who were supposed to be ball hawks were ball hawks and made some plays. So, um, you know, don't don't read too much into it. But I think it's a solid group of guys. They did a good job. I think the UDFA guys, there's some interesting names in there. Um, and the draft guys look fine versus competition they should look fine against. So that's the goal. Next stop, OTAs. OTAs. That's where we got real, real stuff happening. So right. not that this isn't uh, real. This is an important part. But No, this isn't real. This is not NFL football. These are not <laughs> NFL football. Most of these guys are not. With all due respect, they're, yes. they're, they're, you know, 5% best players on the planet. But unfortunately, to be an NFL player, you got to be the top one, two percent. And some of these guys are in the in the three, four and five range. So, yeah, that's just the the nature of uh, I'm glad you brought the that nature up of the sport, because it is um, like people are like, well, what do you glean from this? It's like you're, you're going against like I think they had 39 guys who are tryout guys who yeah. will probably not be in the NFL, you know, so totally. it's hard to tell for sure. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your day, your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take him in podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. All right, let's wrap up, Logan, with a look at the schedule. Uh, we did our big preview last week, uh, and and actually a couple of the things that we wanted to happen happened, and then then there's a couple that absolutely didn't. Right. Uh, the beginning of the schedule is kind of what we wanted to see. Uh, the Cardinals early before they have a chance uh, with the new head coach to get anything going, and obviously before Kyler Murray's back. Uh, Denver Broncos week two. Um, you know, kind of what we said last year yeah. with Jacksonville, you want to get them before Sean Payton and Russell Wilson have a chance to figure it out. And, uh, you know, the earlier, the better on the chances of that. Uh, unfortunately he then got Buffalo week three at yeah. Philly week four. Um, you know, we did talk about, uh, having some time before Atlanta. You do get that cause you play Chicago on Thursday night, uh, heading into Atlanta week six, uh, New York seven Philly at home for week eight. Patriots week nine. So we talked about them not knowing what to do with them. Well, good. They're right in the middle. The enigma of the enigma. Uh, Seahawks week 10, uh, then back home against the Giants before Cowboys on Thanksgiving. Dolphins week 13. Then you get your bye. So a late bye. It's it's so yeah. weird because the bye is late, but you have two long weeks before that because of right. the Thanksgiving games. Yeah. Um, so I really don't know what to make of that. Uh, the Rams week 15, at the very least, you get to be warm out in LA. Yeah. Uh, at New York, so we talked about trying to get Rodgers uh, and the Jets early. Instead, that's late. Same thing with the 49ers. That's week 17, and then you finish at home with Dallas. That is the schedule, Logan. What stood out to you? Yeah, so I think on getting the original, the final release, I think, you know, like you said, it was good to get Arizona early, good to get um, the Broncos early. But I think the thing that is the most definitive in terms of looking at that is starting at week four, you have Philly, a run first team, Chicago, run first team, Atlanta, run first team, New York, run first team, Philly again. So obviously that's a big storyline in and of itself, getting Philly both times before the midway mark of the season, the Patriots run first team, Seattle run first team, New York run first team, and then the Cowboys run first team. So the thing that I kept thinking about and looking at this, and then the bye, obviously, um, you know, after the Dolphins, but that is a lot of physical football ahead of this defense and just how healthy and how do they hold up over the course of that stretch. Um, I do think that kind of, fits into the defense's wheelhouse. They're very efficient and very uh, prolific in terms of stopping the run. 
But man, that is a lot of counters and duos and powers and outside zone to be stopping over the course of the year. So um, just the health of the team, especially with a late buy, like what is that? What does the team look like, you know, at week 15, 14? Um, Because I don't think it'll be the same team as the start of the year. Yeah, that is unfortunately the nature of of things. Um, Defensively, or like, you know, offensively for the commanders, the defenses that they'll have to face. Interesting run um, for sure, because it feels like it it goes wildly up and down in terms of potential skill. I have no idea what the Cardinals are going to be. Obviously, Gannon is the head coach, uh, is a defensive guy, but like they severely lack talent on that side of the ball. Um, and he's and, a, he, and he's a very conservative defensive play caller. Like he likes to kind of sit back in soft zones. Like quarterbacks uh, for the two years he was a defensive coordinator there, I want to say they had like he was the top or like top two completion percentage against that defense. So um, I think for week one, an, a, a not very talented group with not very good pass rushers playing soft zone coverages is probably pretty good for Sam Howell to start the first season, the first game of the year off. Right. And that's ultimately obviously what I'm getting to is like, what kind of fa- a challenge do we see for Sam Howe? Broncos defense is real good. Um, people that may team, not realize that, that roster because, is really yeah. good. People, people may not realize terrible. it because they were so bad last year, but yeah, the, I agree. the defense was good last year and it's not lost any real significant pieces. Obviously they, they have a change in coaching staff and, uh, but man, that's, that's a good one. The Bills probably like they're not the best. It's not the strength of their team. Obviously, Josh Allen is, but like they're very good. Eagles, one of the best second, one of the best secondaries in the NFL. Right, Eagles talent wise is exceptional. I am curious to see what they look like. Obviously, Gannon gone. I know a lot of people like their their new DC, uh-huh. um, but we'll see. Bears last year were a disaster. They're a completely new team this year. Yeah. Falcons. Uh, not the defensive really. coordinator's good again under talented last year but they've added some pieces in the draft yeah again that's one that's kind of and free agency yeah it's, it's an interesting group because it's like does does the does do the players match the coaching this year in a better way and let him do more what he wants to do um but yeah i agree not like a by no means like a juggernaut defensively Right. Giants, uh, I, I would say overperformed last year and we'll see this year, but like they, they know, you know exactly what they're going to be. Um, and then you got the Eagles again, week eight before you got Belichick week nine. So if you go like through week eight in those two Eagles games, there's not a ton of juggernaut defenses. Like I would, I would categorize it this way. You're not going to have any walks in the park. Arizona might be the closest one. No. Um, but it's week one and you know, week one, you crap shoot. Yeah. um, but it, there, there's definitely opportunity for Sam Howell to put together some solid performances and like lock up the job and, and show that he really knows what he's doing and that he's capable of, of going. And, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're dealing with, you know, a, a new offensive coordinator and, and they've got all those challenges the same way that these other teams that we're talking about with new coordinators yeah. do. But um, there's definite opportunity there for Sam Howell to put some good games together and to, to kind of, get this team off to a good start, even though they're going to be facing excellent offenses and they might have to, you know, win some shootouts. Yeah. And I think the two, the two Philly games will be interesting because again, new defensive coordinator, what are they really? I think that'll be really interesting. Uh, But like you said, like not a whole bunch of crazy, crazy talented, crazy scheme defenses. I mean, I think Dal, I think New York is one that is going to be tough for him, especially given uh, kind of the protection responsibilities on the position. Because uh, that is a tough defense to kind of navigate. You know, they are. We saw it up. last year. Yep. I mean, Taylor and Carson both just absolutely did not. Actually, I don't even know if it wasn't Carson. It was just Taylor. Taylor um, both times. Yeah. Super, super smart. Um, just could not get it right. Yeah. So I think that, like, again, because they're divisional games, those, those are three defenses, maybe the Broncos. But, um, you know, like, what is that? Of the first eight games, you've got four kind of tougher defenses and then a couple that aren't that tough. You know, I think that's kind of as good as you could hope for. Um, I will say the Patriots kind of being where their position on this schedule is probably not great for this team because there's going to be a ton of film out on Sam Howell at that point, and Bill Belichick's going to game plan his face off like he always does and, and put him in a little bit of a blender. But then you got um, Seattle the following week, which I think is okay because they were not great last year. They were bad at stopping the run. I think they'll be better in terms of stopping the pass this year. 
obviously when yeah. you draft what that's a that's perfect. a game you got to be careful though because yeah. they've got they've got, got ball people. hawks with yeah, woolen and and witherspoon but i'm saying if you can take advantage of how they're how they've played the run last year um they have improved a little bit in that area from a personnel standpoint but they were bad they were bad in that in that department if and i know ron wants to run the football i think eb wants to run the football i think that might be able to alleviate some pressure there obviously new york it's always helpful seeing a defense for the second time and then, you know, Dallas, I think, is an excellent defense. So maybe the back half of the schedule gets a little bit tougher from a defense standpoint. I would think, yes. Back half is pretty brutal. Yeah, the Jets, San Francisco, Dallas, those are tough defenses. I think my and Miami is a sneaky, very, very good defense. L.A., I think, is in the midst of a rebuild, but you always got to negotiate Aaron Donald. So um, kind of a – it's going to be tough. These are good football teams for, for the most part, and they have really good identities for the most part. Um uh, yeah, it's it's a tough schedule. I mean, did you? I'm sure you've predicted wins and losses. I had to do it a couple times, but you know, what do you? How do you feel about it? I refuse. That's how You're I. Not do it. I refuse to do the wins and losses thing because it's just like it's May. We don't know how good anyone is. Like I've said, I think consist. I think this team is somewhere between seven and eleven win good. It just depends on health, and I've known their opponents the entire time since January. So. Yeah. My seeing the order of the opponents wasn't going to change that. And I, I just don't get how people overreact to the order of the opponents when like, sure, it's nice to see Arizona early uh, before Kyler, but like, maybe not, maybe they're just going to be terrible yeah. all year. Maybe right. they'll be better early. And then Kyler comes back and he's bad because he's rusty or whatever. He's right. you know, lost it or whatever. So there's just, there's no telling what it is. The thing I do Logan with the schedule when it comes out, which we got, we got our, our show blown up on Friday by the ownership news. So Anthony and I will do this on Monday. Um, <laughs> so probably after most people are, we'll, we'll have done this when most people have heard it. So you can check out the clip on YouTube at Craig Hoffman, or you can uh, listen to the Hoffman show podcast. We're going to do a road trip draft. So I will ask you to wrap up this podcast What's the number one road trip you would like to go on after Ooh, seeing the schedule? After seeing that, schedule. that is something that you can do with an NFL schedule. That's, That's way compelling. better than trying to do wins and losses. That's compelling. That's good stuff. Uh, number one road trip. So I've been to Dallas. Um, I've been to Denver. Excuse me. Um, that is a fun stadium to go to and play in. Uh, I have never been to Foxborough. I'd like. I'd like to go to Foxborough. That would be okay. fun. I, I my my I have, I have family that lives up there. I've seen the stadium. I've never been in the stadium. I've heard it's a really cool environment. Um, yeah, just it's, from it's a football cool. from a football standpoint. Obviously, I'm from LA, so that would be cool to go that one as well. So that's my easy one seed. Is it's mid December. It's going to be cold as hell here. You're sounding so I'm soft a, right now. I'm Greg. such such a weather wimp. <laughs> and so if you can get me to LA, I haven't been to SoFi. So I do want to go. I, to the yeah, stadium. I, I do want to go there too. That's a good point. Yep. Um, the football game might not be the best. Yeah. But I get to go to SoFi, which is probably the nicest stadium in the league, and I get what I hope is a seventy-five degree day in the middle of December. Sold. L.A. Gosh, don't seat. you just want to be like in December, like want it to be snowy when you're watching the game and like kind of cloudy? Like, isn't that what it? Like, that's football weather, man. You don't can't be out in L.A. like just like I in think, perfect weather. I think it's better if you play in that because it's like fun. You get to run around. You're warm. When you're just sitting there, it's it's cold and you're Gosh, wet. And I mean, you're just... I, maybe. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like I just – there's something about football in December, man. Just gets gets yeah. the blood going a little bit, you know. But I think I, I like L.A. Um, that'd be fun. That'd be a fun trip. Any other fun ones on here? I think Foxborough. In Denver, I haven't been to Denver in a long time. And I, I literally went there on a college visit. My dad and I were there for like 12 hours. Like we flew in and out the same day. I looked at UC Denver and was like, this is not it. And then, uh, and then we left. Uh, so I, but I've wanted to go back ever since. Cause I just loved the city. It was so beautiful. I loved like being at altitude, the thin air. It just felt crisp and clean. So that's definitely one. I mean, it, going to Atlanta is always great. That stadium's incredible. Um, uh, Seattle's great. I've I've been there a, a couple of times. There was a stretch when they were like on it at home, where they had lost like five games in six years or something like that at home. Yeah. And I think I was at three of them. The Cowboys, <laughs> the Cowboys beat them. Then the Commanders had that crazy game where they beat them with forty six guys or forty five guys healthy. Like I, I think Sheriff dressed for the game, but like wasn't actually dressed. Like right. he was active, but he wasn't in pads. Like I had that crazy, crazy game. Um, 
Josh Dotson made the one play of his career. Um, yeah, but like, it's not really a great road schedule. I no. mean, like going MetLife stinks. It's such a, yeah. it's such a generic stadium, a very vanilla stadium. And yeah. you're going there twice. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm out on that. I'm good. Um, it's not even so in, yeah, it's I, not even in New York, it's in New Jersey. So it's not like you're correct. getting a New York trip, but I, I think Foxborough would be fun. And I think, uh, LA would be fun. So I think those, those have to be the one and two. Like where else would you go? Denver? I guess Denver. Denver. I've been on Denver. I like Denver just cause I like the town. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, but I, for, yeah. for football, I want to go to Foxborough just because I think that'd be cool. That's a football town. That'd be fun. And then yeah. um, obviously L.A. because it's L.A. So Yeah, I really like Seattle, too. I like that stadium. It's downtown. Seattle's cool. I forgot we were going to Seattle. Yeah, um, so would, I, you bump, I, would you bump a game for Seattle? Like, if what's your I order? personally, I've been to Foxborough. It was for a preseason game, but I've been. When was this? Um, they played there, I want to say it was 2019. Okay. I think yeah, like Brady's never, last been, year, especially the new one. I've never been up there, so yeah. Gillette's, I mean, Gillette's a very solid stadium, delicious uh, New England clam chowder in the press box. Um, it's it's kind of weird. It's you know how Buffalo is like one road in, one road out yeah. to the stadium. Yeah. Uh, that's Foxborough, but like it's really one road in, one road well, out. So I've been to I've been to the city of Foxborough before, and it is like yeah. just the stadium and like a suburb, which it looks so yeah. weird. It's bizarre. Uh, yeah, but I think I'd like to see a game there, maybe. Yeah. No, it's it's cool. Um, but I would I would prefer Seattle over Foxborough. Seattle's fun. Seattle's yeah. a fun town and the stadium's nice, so I could definitely see Seattle's that. Seattle's a weird place. It's so beautifully weird. Yeah, it's a good spot. Like I remember when we had it was what was that, two thousand eleven we played there. And then, you know, just walking around, seeing the first Starbucks. It's a pretty clean city. Like it was cool. It was a good it was a good experience for sure. So yeah, I definitely I'm with you on that. I just haven't been All to right. Foxborough, so I want to go first, bro. Yeah, I totally get it. Uh, so that's that's our road trip uh, segment of the schedule, which is way better than predicting wins and losses in May. If All right, uh, wins, would, I'm just kidding. They'll uh, they'll win the games. They score more points. Yeah. All right. Go. What are we What are we doing on Wednesday? We got a mailbag Wednesday, I think. Is, is sure. Yeah, that seems right like now? a good thing. Yeah, and we're you know at, we're in the point of the off season now where we will take any suggestions. I think we're going to do some fun, you know, like. Uh, you know, if you had to have like a like offensive lineman versus skill position, you know, type of draft, eleven out of eleven, who yeah. would win? Like, we're gonna try to think of some fun stuff like that, but we're always open to new stuff. So, yeah. send us your wacky ideas. We yeah. might just use them. Uh, yeah. You can tweet me at Craig Hoffman, Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson eighty two. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Subscribe wherever you're watching or listening right now, and we will see you later in the week on Take Me.